Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the official podcast of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorders Society. I'm here at the MDS Congress 2023 in Copenhagen. And today I'm going to be talking with the senior author of the Movement Disorders Journal Best Research Article of the Year 2023, Mario Zappia, who is a professor of neurology at the University of Catania in Italy. And he's going to be speaking to us about his article, Long Duration Response to Levodopa, Motor Learning, and Neuroplasticity in Early Parkinson's Disease. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Zappia, and congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. It's an honor to have this great award and great recognition. Certainly well-deserved. So let's dive right in. So you start your article by talking a little bit about the short versus long duration response to levodopa. What exactly drives the long duration response? And what do we know about what makes patients more or less likely to develop this response? The long duration response is a well-known response of a pharmacological response to levodopa, but during the years, it was not very well exploited. The long duration response is a clinical benefit deriving from chronic administration of the drug that appears after days or weeks after starting the treatment. And when we stop the treatment, this response decay with some days or weeks. Then the long duration response is clinical improvement different from the short duration response. The short duration response is the response to a single dose of the drug. Instead, the long duration response is a benefit deriving from chronic treatment. Usually in the early stage of Parkinson's disease, many patients develop this response and the response could be maintained also in the later stage. But we have to recognize this, this response just to give to patients the maximal benefit deriving from this response. So when we think about levodopa kinetics in the clinic, we're usually thinking about the short duration response, but there's this underlying basal response that can develop over time. Yeah. In the paper, we're also going to get into the methods, which include tasks of motor learning. So I wanted to start with a little bit of a background on what motor learning is and what do we know about the physiological underpinnings of motor learning, specifically in Parkinson's disease. The uh, motor learning is a set of process that derives from exercise and that produce a transient or permanent changes in motor performance. Motor learning is due to modification in cerebral neuroplasticity, and we can observe this modification by investigating neurophysiological parameters that could be modified by these changes. So how is motor learning affected in Parkinson's patients? Motor learning is usually impaired in Parkinson's patients, and this could be a problem also for the neurological rehabilitation for these patients. But we have to make effort just to obtain a better motor learning from our patients. From this point of view, the development of long-duration response, as we demonstrated in our study, could be a good 
pharmacological strategy also to facilitate motor learning and the changes in neuroplasticity at cortical level. So that segues nicely into my next question, which is how did you conduct your study? We conducted our study with 41 patients. The patients were drug-naive Parkinson's disease patients, and they underwent treatment for 15 days, two weeks of levodopa with levodopa. The interdose interval between each dose of 250 milligrams was 24 hours because we know that with this uh, regimen, uh, early patients uh, with Parkinson's disease could develop the long-duration response. Not all the patients develop this response. In this way, we can have patients with develop the response and patients without the response. This gave us the opportunity to study a modification of neurophysiological parameters in patients with the long-duration response and patients without the long-duration response. Patients underwent also to a training of motor exercise related to finger sequence of finger tapping, and a group of patients did not make motor exercise. So in this way, we have four groups of patients, patients with a long-duration response, patients without the long-duration response, and patients with a long-duration response who underwent a motor, train, a motor training, and patients with the motor response did not undergo to the motor training. These four groups were compared at the baseline by testing the neurophysiological parameters, that is the auditory evoked potential P300, the motor evoked potential induced by single transcranial magnetic stimulation, and the so-called barite shaft potential, a premotor potential that precede motor movement. We investigated this parameter at the beginning of the treatment and after 15 days of treatment, and we observed the change induced by the long-duration response and by the motor exercise. And what did you find in these four groups? And in your answer, if you could also tell our listeners what you hoped to determine using the specific neurophysiological markers that you used. You mentioned that you felt these were good surrogate markers for cortical excitability and also therefore cortical neuroplasticity. These are simple neurophysiological markers, but they gave us an idea about the cortical plasticity in different areas. For instance, primary motor cortex or frontopari regions and so on. So what we observe is that this parameter modified in patients who achieve the long-duration response, who underwent to motor exercise learning, they modified especially the latency of these parameters. Patients who did not achieve the response, the long-duration response, did not change these parameters, even if they underwent to motor exercise. The conclusion was that the long-duration response is necessary to make change in neurophysiological marker of uh, neuroplasticity. But if patients with a long-duration response underwent also to the motor exercise, these two treatments have a sort of synergistic effects. 
because the group of patients who achieved the long duration response and who underwent to motor training had the better change in neurophysiological marker, especially, as I said, the latency of these parameters. And do I read correctly that these parameters, you also tested them before and after an actual levodopa dose to see whether the short duration response was also partially responsible for these changes in the neurophysiological markers and did not find that it was relevant. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you for this question because it is the main question. Levodopa acts in different way. The short duration response, that is the response that we usually know in the clinical practice is not relevant to modify cortical excitability. Only the long duration response may change cortical excitability. So, for instance, patients who did not achieve the long duration response, we can study the short duration response at the end of treatment. So, if only the clinical improvement associated with the short duration response may determine the change in cortical excitability, we should observe also change of our parameters in this condition. But we never observe this change. So our findings suggest that levodopa act on neuroplasticity only through the long duration response. That's fascinating and very elegantly done. Thank you very much. I do have one final question. We think of the short duration response. Obviously, dopamine is hitting the receptors. Dopamine is cleared from the receptors. What is actually going on with the long duration response at the synaptic level? Do we know? Really, we don't know. We could hypothesize that a series of events downstream the synaptic level could be induced by a tonic release of dopamine, such as probably the long-duration response is behind this tonic release of dopamine. But really, we don't know at molecular level what happens. For sure, we could hypothesize that there is, at synaptic level, major strength between synapses and probably modification at the level of basal ganglia and cortical cerebral cortex network. And finally, for those half of the patients in the study who did not achieve a long-duration response, is there hope for those patients? No. We used for experimental purpose a short period of treatment, 15 days. But all patients in the early stage could reach this response by prolonging the treatment. So our study, in my opinion, has two main endpoints. The first one is that as a therapeutical approach, we have to search for the achievement of the long-duration response in our patients because the clinical benefit deriving from this response is a clinical benefit without dyskinesia because the dyskinesia in these patients could be at least at the peak. But after 24 hours, we can observe clinical benefit without dyskinesia. But there is not only a clinical benefit, there is also a change in cortical excitability. And the second main point is that by exploiting this action of the long-duration response, we could have some relevant results in neurorehabilitation. Because if 
the long duration response facilitate the effect of motor exercise on cerebral cortex, then it's better to achieve this response for patients who need motor rehabilitation. And what do you see as the next steps in looking into this phenomenon? Probably we need the animal model to study better the response and clarify what are the mechanisms at cellular level and at synaptical level. These are only clinical study on patients using marker of neurophysiology. Thank you for sharing this interesting data with us today. And again, congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. I would like to thank all my group and especially Dr. Georgia Shaka, who was the first author of this article. And I wish also to dedicate this award to my mentor, Professor Aldo Quattrone. Thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.